0: All right, guys, here we go. Today, uh, the, the sermon today is called, There's No Fast Way to Get New Wine. There's No Fast Way, and it's, it's a brilliant title. You're going to love it later, uh, but we'll get to that later. <laughs> I, love, I love when things work on a couple different levels. But uh, So we're starting Mark, Mark chapter 2, and I'm just going to read the very first part where it says, The disciples of John and the Pharisees were fasting. So we're introduced to these two groups of people who were fasting, and and right now Jesus is going around throughout Galilee, and he's 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 ministering to people, he's doing wonderful things and teaching them, and and uh, but there's a lot going on in this in this city, in this in this world right now, and and here's one little glimpse of to the into their world that the disciples of John, and do you know which John he's talking about? John the Baptist, right? So, and John the Baptist has been thrown in prison at this point, and and so his disciples are there. Well, what has already happened? John has already baptized Jesus, and and we'll, we'll see that later. This is kind of weird that the disciples of John are being talked about here, but we'll we'll get into that. And and the Pharisees were fasting. Fasting. You guys know what fasting is? It's when you you go without food, go without food. right? Go without food. Yeah, that's right. Anything that you, you, you're, you're going without, but in this culture, it was a really big deal. People would fast, uh, especially, as we see here, the disciples, John and the Pharisees. So um, we're going to do a little exercise here. Um, we're gonna, I'm going to read two prayers, and you, this is a little game, where you guys need to figure out what's wrong with these prayers. Okay? So here's prayer number one. God, do something. Why would you let this happen? Why has our nation fallen on such hard times? Why have you allowed the Romans to punish us and rule us and mock us? We are your chosen people. That's our identity. What can we do to get you to do something, God? In the days past, you rebuked our leaders for our sin, so we're going to do our best to keep your rules today. You told us long ago that we didn't care, so we're going to show you how much we care by fasting. We're going to observe not one, but two days of fasting every week just to show you that we care. We care better than our fathers cared. We're better than the pagans, and we're better than the Romans. We are worthy of your blessings. We will earn your favor. We are your chosen people, the sons of Abraham. Our goal is to keep your commandments and to have victory over our enemies. We will keep trusting in the old ways of our religion. Who do you think prayed that prayer? The Pharisees. Good job. Good job. And what would you say was wrong with that prayer? Lack yeah. Of lack of faith. Lack of faith. Okay. Pride. Lack of humility. Pride. Pride. Arrogance. Pride. Arrogance. Works. works. Now, what do you mean when you say works? Try to, do the best. try to do the best they can. Earn more. Earn more. And what was the thing that they're doing, that they're trying? What's the work that What? They think they're going to manipulate God into doing something by their fasting. By their fasting. Okay? Let's read another prayer. God, do something. Why have you let this happen? Why have you let our leader and our pastor get arrested? Why have you not allowed his ministry to break out into revival of new life in our country? You know that's what we want, new life, new joy. We know that our leaders are sinful, our nation is sinful, our own hearts are sinful. But we are really hoping, we were really hoping that you would use us to change this world, that you would use John, our pastor, and his message of repentance to, to, in every corner of our land to bring a revival? Why would you say no to this hope? Is it because we haven't done enough? That we haven't sacrificed enough? That we haven't bought in or that we haven't kept all your commandments? Is, is that why new life evades us? We feel that all we can do is try harder. What other hope could there possibly be? Our hearts are broken. Our spirits are tired. Nothing is joyful or hopeful. So we shall fast. Because it's the best expression of what's overflowing in our souls. Sorrow, grief, despair. What's wrong in that prayer? Right, okay. Okay. Right, okay. Awesome, they have their hope in a movement, in a in a in a man-made thing, you know John and his baptism in the desert and all that, and the crickets, They're hoping in their efforts. hoping in their efforts. Okay, what else? So why were they fasting? The Pharisees were fasting to try to get God to do something, but why? Why are the disciples of John fasting? they're grieving right right they wanted something exactly so they had humility but without faith because their faith was in john and the movement not in Jesus, because why are they disciples of John and not disciples of Jesus? John told them Jesus was the Messiah, but they're like, nah. They would rather mope around and, and keep going in their depression and in their, in, their de, in their despair than put their hope in Christ. That's the problem with that, that prayer and those people. They have every reason to be sad, okay? But they're not, that, that there's something wrong there. They're not putting their hope in Jesus. Have you ever prayed one of these prayers? I know I have. My prayer life has been infected with both of these at times. Pride and lack of faith. Both of them. Both of these prayers are going to be answered by God in our text today. Um, and his answer to both of these guys is going to be Jesus. Isn't that frustrating? That's the only answer God ever gives us. Eh, Jesus, right? And the, the Bible answer, Jesus, right? <laughs> How could he be the answer? Well, don't worry. It doesn't make sense to these people either. Um, but I've prayed these prayers, prayers like, God, Things are not right. What can I do to cause you or convince you to help me out? What do you want me to sacrifice? What can I do to make things change in my life? I've prayed that prayer. Or how about the, the, more of the, the John's disciples' prayer? God, things are not right. I'm really disappointed. I feel abandoned. Things and people I trusted in are not reliable. My joy is gone, and I'm filled with overflowing sorrow. Anger and doubt and fasting is my only expression. See how much pain I'm in? Look at my grief, God. So either I'm fasting because I want to manipulate God and and sacrifice something to get him to look at me, or I'm fasting because I'm just that sad. And what we're going to learn today is neither one of those is what fasting is supposed to be. Okay, God... um, Never has another answer for any prayer other than Jesus. That's his only answer. And he is sufficient. He's our Messiah. He's our Savior. He's our Deliverer. He's our Healer. He is our life. He is enough for every issue that we got going on. His life and death will supply everything we ever need. I know we don't yet fully understand how, but it's true. Whether we understand it or not, he doesn't need your fasting. Did you know that? He doesn't need your sacrifices. he doesn't need your money. He's dirt, uh, blah, blah. He is committed to giving you everything through Jesus. He's the, then he will after he gives you what you need, he'll take your life and he'll use it for his glory. Um, your life will be a willing sacrifice, not a sacrifice of obligation. Your money will be a love offering instead of by compulsion if you give money. This sacrificial life and love and new life that that Jesus wants to produce in us, it would absolutely crush anyone who tries to do it in their own strength. You know how I know? Because I tried to do it in my own strength. Has anyone else tried to follow Christ in their own strength and it was nothing but crushing death, right? We do it and we do it over and over and we are so slow to learn this lesson. We can't love as much as God wants us to love. We can't give as much as God could supply us to give. It's just impossible. It's a good thing that we're free, we're free from trying to produce this life on our own. But it's a free gift that we receive. This life of love and sacrifice that Jesus does want to produce, he will freely give it to you first. So here's some just random thoughts on fasting as we get into this. Number one, fasting is nowhere commanded in the Bible for us uh but it's not forbidden either it's a tool for drawing near to the lord that we'll talk about fasting is taking time that you would normally spend eating or sleeping or enjoying some other activity and use that time for prayer and meditating on his word instead okay fasting is a result of proper priorities um so fellowship with God becomes more important to us than our physical needs, and fasting acknowledges this priority. So it's saying, it's more important for me to spend time with God than to eat. That's, that's the right way to look at fasting. Number. Two, and then the last thing is fasting does not impress God, and it does not persuade God. It does not merit anything. It doesn't earn you anything. So what is it? We are supposed to delight in God so much that we forget about eating sometimes. That's the more biblical way to think about it. Or we specifically just don't eat because we're delighting in God so much. Remember when Jesus was with the woman at the well and his disciples went to go buy food and they came back and they're like, Jesus, you want some food? And why are you talking with that weird lady? And he said, I have had food to eat that you do not know. He was so delighting in his father and in giving the love and grace and his own life to this lady that food was like, ah, I don't need that. I am fully satisfied in my heart. All right, so with all that said, let's read our text, Matthew, Mark chapter 2, verse 18 through 22. The disciples of John And of the Pharisees were fasting. And they came to him and said, Why do the disciples of John and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. There was something different about how the disciples of Jesus were living. His followers did not fast. They couldn't. They didn't have time to fast because they were too busy being happy. They were too busy being happy. They seemed simply unconcerned with all the terrible things that were bothering everybody else all the time. The Pharisees, very angry about Rome. Very angry about everything. The disciples of John, very upset about John being arrested. Very upset about these things. But these disciples they were always talking about forgiveness just like their lord was always talking about it. They were learning to do what he did. They they were truly joyful and thankful that their leader had brought this forgiveness and love into their hearts. They're just like, "I am this is awesome following this guy." I mean, going to this church, they would say, like the church of Jesus, like just always with him and him being their pastor. They're like, it is so great. He is always telling us how much he loves us. He's always telling us what he's going to supply for us. He's giving us food all the time. He's throwing parties every day. This Jesus is amazing. He was not a new religion. He was a new life. He wasn't fixing Judaism he was fulfilling it and then transforming it. Nothing he did was what they were used to or what they had grown up with. They grew up with rules, right? Like everybody. They grew up with rules, rules that you did to try to be seen as a good person. If you followed the rules as a little, you know, Jew-lit you grew up into being a someone that people thought was a good person. Hey, he follows all the commandments. He does all the rules. But with Jesus, he simply was good, and he didn't even have to try. He wasn't trying to be a good person. Like their leaders, their Pharisees, their priests, It was all about effort and giving more, do more, try harder. And Jesus was just like, joyful, I am good. I am full of love. I am all that God would have me to be. These disciples were peacefully joyful in the presence of their Lord. And that was weird to everybody in this culture. Like, why are these disciples so weird and peaceful and happy? This is not okay. With Jesus, they didn't have to try to earn his approval. He just accepted and loved them every day, even though they were total idiots. They weren't smart. They were goofball. They failed all the time. They didn't understand. You could literally call them any name you want. These were not the the people you would choose To be the most gifted and most talented, Jesus chose the people everybody hated. Tax collectors and sinners and fishermen. But in their failures, Jesus was so patient with them and so kind. And to be in the presence of Jesus was for them the only way that they really knew what joy was. To know what joy was. He loved them. He supplied everything they needed, even things they didn't know they needed. He was a father to the fatherless among his disciples. He was a brother to the lonely. He was a leader and provider. He was all they ever needed. And Jesus uses the the illustration today of a joyful wedding to answer their question. Again, the question is, why are your disciples so happy and not trying to earn God's favor and not trying to change the world? We're trying to do stuff as Pharisees, as John's disciples. We're trying to get stuff done and it takes anger and effort and sorrow and fasting to get stuff done. And they're like, why are your disciples not? Why don't they care enough? And Jesus says, the answer is, In a joyful wedding. Imagine going to a wedding and refusing to celebrate and just crying in the corner the whole time. Just imagine that. You know, where's Uncle Bob? Oh, he's been crying in the corner the whole time. That's weird. And he should leave. Right? It's offensive. Like, why are you at my wedding and just crying the whole time? It's offensive and rude, right? And Jesus says to them, can the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. It's not allowed. So the Pharisees and John's disciples were both stuck trying to earn God's favor and the disciples of, of Jesus are just full of joy as children of God who are convinced that God loves them already and has already given them their fa- his favor. Uh, are you a child of God or are you a Pharisee? Hmm. Well, you guys have heard those jokes, you might be a redneck if, right? <laughs> you might be a redneck if they ask you for identification and you show them your belt buckle. Right, those type of jokes. Well, we're gonna. We, I got. I got a few. You might be a Pharisee, if. So just think through these things. Right, you might be a Pharisee if you think being a Christian is about the rules we follow instead of a relationship with Jesus. You might be a Pharisee if you're more busy with the conduct of others instead of with your own shortcomings. Are you always thinking about how other people suck instead of how you? need God bless you. Bless me. I should be worried about myself. Wow. Oh, just kidding. You might be a Pharisee if you think everyone should do things your way, with your customs and follow your strategies, and if they don't, they are compromisers. You might be a Pharisee. You might be a Pharisee if you compare yourself with others with the only point to show that you're better, that you got things figured out. You might be a Pharisee if you put expectations on others for how they should serve God, but you're not willing or able to do any of those things yourself. You might be a Pharisee if you think that any other church that grows must be watering down the gospel. You might be a Pharisee if you think America is God's chosen land and that English is God's chosen language. You might be a Pharisee if you think that your sins seem smaller than other people's big, gross, disgusting sins. You might be a Pharisee if you think that any other Christian who doesn't agree with you is a compromiser. You are the pure believers. You might be a Pharisee if you think more about external looks than about internal realities. You might be a Pharisee if you're insulted by the notion that you are a Pharisee. Did I get everyone offend everybody? Okay, I can move on then. Brought to you by a recovering Pharisee. What I did, there's three things that really identify um, Pharisee Christians. Okay. How do I know if I'm a Pharisee? These three things will really help you. Number one, whenever something is emphasized that uh, we must do for God rather than uh, what God has done for us in Jesus. That's that's a huge sign that I'm a Pharisee. Whenever I'm emphasizing something, it's what I need to do. You should pray more. You should read your Bible more. You You should have better friends. You should do these things. You should not do those things. Anytime... It's something I am doing, and that's the stress. That's not the gospel. The gospel is what Jesus did for you. And our focus, amen, brother, our focus needs to be on the gospel. That's how we're set free, okay? Second thing that was really a key to knowing if you're a Pharisee, uh, whenever we impose man-made rules on people in the name of achieving holiness, by things like avoiding sinners or not partaking in something that the Bible doesn't prohibit. In other words, you'll be a better Christian if you don't hang out with those sinners or don't spend time loving on those people, no matter what they've done. Anyone who says that is stuck in pharisaical life. Or uh, if you'll be a better Christian if you don't do X, something that's not prohibited in the Bible. The third thing, a Pharisee is super good at this, uh, seeing the sin in others and not in themselves. Those are the three ways that we can be Pharisees. Okay? A Pharisee can't be happy. Did you know that? A Pharisee can't be happy. When they see other people enjoying a party, What do they think? What form of sin could produce such unholy joy? What kind of sin is going on in that party? That I could, you know what? I'm better than them already. Because they're happy and I'm not. And God likes sad people more than happy people. That's what these Pharisees, that's really what is going on. Because for religious people, fun is sin. For Pharisees, fun is sin. For carnal people, for carnal sinners, sin is fun. So if fun is sin or if sin is fun, neither one of those is what Jesus created us for. Jesus created us and he gives us fun, life, joy without sin. It's amazing. Uh, a Pharisee, here's another way you could say it. It's the, they would think in their minds, the more sour the saint, the more spiritual they are. Oh, you know what? I just can't rejoice over the state of this city and this world. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit over here and be angry about it. And I'm going to post on Facebook all my feelings about it. Have we not seen that every week for the past, since Facebook was invented? Your outrage over sin doesn't matter. Nobody cares. And it doesn't change sinners. You being like, how dare you fill in the blank of the sin. That does not do ministry. That doesn't show people the gospel. Jesus has a solution for the Pharisees and for John's disciples, and they are not going to like it one bit. Ready? He says here, No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, or else the new piece pulls away from the old, and the tear is made worse. Um, and no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine bursts the wineskins, and the wine is spilled, and the wineskins are ruined. But the new wine must be put into new wine. Wine skins. This is so cool, guys. So, the 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 cloth illustration. I guess like think about like sails. Like if you have a tear in your sail and it's already shrunk because of weather, and you put a new cloth on, that new cloth will shrink and it'll tear on the seam and it'll make it worse. Okay. Um, and then wine, same thing. If you have new wine, you have to put it in a new wine skins, and then as it ferments, it stretches. But old wineskins are, are, are hard and if you put new wine in them, it ferments and it will burst and then you lose the wine and the wine skin, and it's all just a bad day because you can't drink your wine. So, what these things are talking about is Jesus is talking about the way that he is going to bring joy and life into the people of God. The, the, the cloth, think about The external, the way we begin our our life with God, he clothes us with righteousness. He gives you a robe made out of cloth, and that robe is a gift, and he says it's brand new. He doesn't try to fix your outward behavior. He just forgives all your sins, washes you clean, makes you new. Then, So robes are on the outside of us, right? So Jesus cleanses the outside. Wine, where does wine go? On the inside. So we have outward and inward both dealt with by Jesus. And he's going to deal with the outward, so he's going to give you a robe, and it's going to be pure white, no sin. When God looks at you, he does not see your sin. And then he's actually going to fix the inside as well and give new life. The solution, Jesus says, for the Pharisees and for John's disciples and for anybody is that they must be made new and have a new living life poured into them. The old cannot be reformed. That's the deal. Reformation takes a lot of work. You come into people who buy a company and change it like Ben. That's his job. He buys companies. He goes in and he reforms them and it takes a lot of work to make them better. Well, God doesn't do that because we are such busted up, broken people that we can't be reformed. So he has a new plan and his new plan is new life. The old ways of laws and rules that cannot be kept around because they have been superseded by this new way that Jesus is talking about. This new way is the gospel or what we call the new covenant. Okay, it's so exciting. The old way of efforts and sacrifice It's done away with and fulfilled by the efforts and sacrifice of Jesus. So he does all that for us. And the gospel must now replace the law. The law must, the new must replace the old. There is no keeping it around or putting our trust in it. Jesus is offering new wine. What does that mean? Why would Jesus pick the illustration of new wine Why did he give wine at the wedding in Cana? Why did he make wine? Because everyone was so sad. And he's like, I love making people happy. I love pouring joy and life into people. He says wine because wine makes you think of what in the Bible? Blood. And blood equals what in the Bible? Life. The Bible says the life of a being is in its blood. You take out all of someone's blood, they're not alive anymore. That's what the Bible says, which is actually pretty true. So when he says wine, he means blood, which means life. And he says, I want to give you new wine, which means I want to give you new life. New life. And then in Romans, he says, we have been given the Holy Spirit, which sheds abroad the life or the, the love of God in our hearts, the love of God, Christ has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit that was given to us. And that word shed abroad in Greek is only used for blood being shed. What he's saying is that Jesus bleeds his life into you. He pumps, he gives you a blood transfusion and he pumps it right through your heart, his new life. And is Jesus sad and mopey? No, he's the happiest person that's ever lived. He's so full of joy. Now he's been exalted into heaven. He's at the right hand of the throne of God and he has all power and authority. He's not sad and he's not scared and he's not worried about anything. He is in control. And he says to you today, are you going to trust me? Are you going to put your hope in me? Because I will give you new wine new blood, new life. That's my word to you. I will give it to you. It's my promise. Can you recall a time when Jesus said his blood was giving us something new? When we go through our discipleship, the first verse we look at when we are talking about grace is Luke twenty-two twenty. And it says, likewise, after he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. So Jesus says, my blood is the new thing, the new wine that he's talking about here. It's called the new covenant. The Pharisees and John's disciples were living old covenant life. Religious lives. The Old Covenant was all about religion and rules, right? What is the big thing in the Old Covenant? The Ten Commandments, right? And if you ask a question, what do I do to please God? Here's a list of ten things that you can do. And if 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 you think you've done all those, there's a bunch of sacrifices. Can I offer a sacrifice? What would be enough to make God finally happy with me? The old covenant had list after list and thing after thing to do and to sacrifice. Can we ever do enough? Can we ever really keep all the, lo- the rules perfectly, guys? No. Can we love God the way he deserves to be loved? Do you love God? No. The way he deserves to be loved? No. Now God is birthing in us the fulfillment that we can love God by the new covenant. But in our own strength, does anybody love God? No. Do you love anybody in this world the way they deserve to be loved? No. Well, I love them like the way I think I should love them. I'm sorry, that's not good enough for God. He says you're supposed to lay down your life for even your enemies and love them. And you don't. And I don't. We don't, right? So we, we're lying to ourselves if we think we can keep his rules and live up to his standards. We cannot, but that's why it's a free gift. Jesus gives us a new and living way. A new and living way called a new covenant that is not based on our performances and our efforts and our obedience. It's not based on that. It's not based on our works or our faithfulness, but it's based 100% on his performance, his obedience, his works, and his faithfulness. Can I get an amen? Amen. That's right. That is called the gospel, or what we call the new covenant that God has given to men. You can't do it, so let me do it for you, and you just put your faith in me. Is that that hard? No, it's not. That is the new wine jesus offers here now warning warning new wine can only go in new wine skins that's what jesus said what does that mean he can't give this new life this new blood this new wine he cannot give it he cannot pour it into a heart that is still an old covenant trusting heart in other words, a heart that thinks that they can prove something to God. A heart that thinks that they can earn God's favor. That by fasting, they can manipulate God's hand. That's an old covenant heart. That's an old, it's an old way of living. God, he will see how hard I try. He will see how much I want it. And, and, and that will make God no. People get really confused on this because we we hear things like the effective, effective, fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much. So I need to, ugh, right? And it's about me going, ugh. And God likes, ugh. (laughs) And that's not what it's about. Effectively fervent in new covenant trust. God, I am nothing. God, I trust Jesus is everything so I simply bring my request before you with all my heart, knowing that I must wait upon you for this answer. That's the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous person. God cannot pour this new life into an old covenant trusting heart. The only way to get rid of an old covenant trusting heart is to murder it. So we're going to have a murdering service BK started it. He said, I am going to murder myself for Christ, right? I've been crucified with, what is crucified? It's murder. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. We have to die to that way of living, the old covenant way. If you don't want to be an old wineskin, then you have to surrender the old covenant way wineskins work, which is I follow God's rules, and he has to bless me now. He should bless me because I'm trying hard. God says, that's not the way. That's not the new way. That's not the new and living way. The new and living way is you die to that and you simply come unto Christ with a look of faith and say, I need you. I trust you. I lay everything before you. We have to crucify that old man who trusted in works. And this is the craziest thing, guys. Your old man has already been killed. He's already been crucified. Growing as a Christian doesn't mean you have to re-crucify yourself every single day. Growing as a Christian is under, is learning to understand and walk in the truth that your old man was already crucified. He was already done away with on the cross. We have to crucify that old man, or learn that we were crucified, that trusted in fasting, that trusted in works, that trusted in anything besides Jesus, the person and work of Jesus. Okay, guys. If someone gets saved, do we think someone is saved when they pray, God, save me, God, forgive me of my sins, Jesus, if you could do it, would you please save me? That, that is an evidence for us that someone is saved. We know someone is saved when they say this. Thank you, Jesus, that my sins were nailed to the cross and died with you. That person is saved. Not the person who's like, God, please save me. But the person who says, it's, it's done already. And I can rejoice in it. And I believe by faith that it's already done. Does that make sense? And hopefully that brings some clarity because some people are always saying, God, uh, I don't even know if I'm saved. And I'm Can you rejoice that your sins were already nailed to the cross? Then you're saved, okay? Now, salvation and forgiveness was only one gift that Jesus offered you. There's a second gift that Jesus offers you. And this second gift is the Holy Spirit, right? Indwelling Holy Spirit. Get this, guys. How many times have you heard you need to ask and pray and seek and fast? Fasting. That will earn you some Holy Spirit brownie points. You will get more of God if you fast. You will get more of the Holy Spirit if you tarry. Really give it all. Really surrender. You guys heard that before? Okay, it's not true. The person who says, God, forgive me. We don't think that person has received forgiveness. It's the person that says, God, thank you. That person has forgiveness. We know that. It's the same with the Holy Spirit. The person who says, God, give me your Holy Spirit. Uh, That's not going to work, guys. The The person that says, God, thank you. That Jesus, you are exalted into heaven. You are sitting at the right hand of God and you said you gave me the Holy Spirit and I thank you that I am filled with your Holy Spirit and I want to now walk in the truth that you have what you've done. It's a different way of living. It's total freedom. God is not asking you to earn the gift of the Holy Spirit how weird would that be if you woke up on Christmas morning and your parents were like, here's all your presents, now get to work. you got to do all these things to earn your presents because they're not really presents. They're not gifts, right? The Holy Spirit is not something you earn. The Holy Spirit is not something you earn. It is a free gift and it has already been given to who? Me. Me. It's crazy how much God has already done for us. It's wonderful how much God has already given to us. And growth as a Christian is just learning, what has God done for me? Look at what God has done for me. Look at it. And I am so freaking happy every day about what God has given to me. That's why his disciples were questioned here today is because they were, they were too happy. And people who are legalistic and old covenant minded, even Christians, they will be like, wait a second, you don't know how hard I've been trying. And you're telling me that it's done nothing for me and God? Yeah, sorry. Sorry but I've wasted so much time and I don't like, you're, you're lame compared to me. I look how much of a good Christian I am. Look at the good things I do. And, and we say simply, I am so lame. You have no idea. I'm way worse than you think. But God is so kind and loving and his grace is so perfect and sufficient that it takes a loser like me And he gives me a robe of forgiveness and he wraps it around me. A new robe. He gives me new wine and a new covenant that I can just drink in. Amen, guys? Amen. We need new life, not an old religion, right? There's been things in the church like lighting candles for dead and praying to saints and praying to statues and stuff like that. And it's just straight up heresy, right? We can just, Biblically say those things are bad, but, but things like praying, prayer meetings, and singing, and going to church, and reading the Bible can also become nothing more than lifeless routines. How many times has reading the Bible become lifeless to you? Sometimes, yeah. Lots of times, yeah. If the focus is on the ritual instead of on the Lord's grace, then all the good things that we want to do become idols, become worthless. Praying becomes a burden, and fasting becomes sorrow, and trying to manipulate God, and worship becomes a burden and a job. If coming to church is a burden and a job, we need to stop. Take a step back and ask for some new wine. Jesus happens to be in the business of giving new wine to anyone who will call out to him in simple faith. Do you feel the joy and life of new wine in your wineskin? Do you feel it? Do you you have the joy? (laughs) Or are you stuck in the old way of fasting and doing Old Covenant performance-based religion? So good questions. Are you a Pharisee or a disciple of Jesus? Are you at a party or a funeral? If someone were to walk by you and, and glimpse into your heart, would they see party or funeral? John's disciples should have been at the party. What is John's disciples doing here? This is the part of this story that blows my mind. Look what their teacher had told them in John, the book, chapter 3, verse 29. John the Baptist said this, He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This joy of mine is fulfilled. Now that means John told them Jesus was the Messiah. The source of all joy and grace. And they did not believe him because they didn't follow Jesus. They have the consequences for that now. The consequences for not following Jesus, when you know he's the way, but you don't want to believe it, is sorrow. Sorrow. John had the joy, but these guys missed it. And we can be so close to the truth, going to church, reading the Bible, praying, without actually accepting it in our hearts and being set free. Like John's disciples, they didn't want to really follow Jesus. They liked John the Baptist's rules. They liked his way. They liked his charisma, his personality, his beard. I can can see. I can understand. It's good stuff, right? I would have liked John the Baptist too. But man, I hope I would have followed Jesus. Romans 7.4, listen to this. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ. When did you die? When were you crucified, BK? When Jesus was crucified. That's when you died. And if you can say thank you to that today, you are saved. You are born again. Because you can't be living right here, believing in that and not be born again. He said, you've become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. Why do you think Jesus brought up marriage? Because he's all about it. He's all about it. We have died to the law so that we could be alive to Christ. We were crucified with him so that we could live with him too. This is, this, Jesus brings straight up marriage again, right here. God is waiting for us to be married to him, united to him. He's wanting that. Do you know what? every marriage in history is simply an illustration and points to the marriage of Christ and his church. Your marriage doesn't matter as much as in anything, really, until it points to Christ. And every marriage does, whether they want it to or not. I love that. God is waiting, wanting us to be married to him. Now listen, you're not married to someone just by knowing them. I know God. Yeah, but are you married to him? You're not married to someone just by dating them. I'm dating God. Well, it's kind of weird, but I see him sometimes on Sundays. Me and God, we're going out. That doesn't make you married. You're not even married with someone if you live with them. That doesn't mean you're married. Some people are like, oh, I think about God all the time. I wake up, he's there. I go to sleep, he's there. But are you married to him? You don't even you're not even married just by taking someone's name. Oh, my last name is Christian. My first name is Christian. Just kidding. Um, that would be funny if someone in here was named Christian. It'd be awesome, but The only thing that makes you married is when you say I do, and accept their love into your heart. Then you're really married. That's the design of marriage, right? And this is what God is searching for in this room today. All Again, like I said, all marriage is just an illustration. I don't care if your marriage is good, bad, broken, whatever. It doesn't matter because it's really about you and God. Nothing matters except you and the Lord. He wants a life union for you, with you. He wants to be with you. He created you because he loves you and he wants to be with you. And he's provided a way through his son for a new robe and a new life, a new heart. Now I'm going to read one last verse to you, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And I think uh, there's usually a veil at weddings, isn't there? Isn't that weird? There's veils at weddings. And so, in all things, we get a picture of Christ to rejoice in. You want in to this marriage relationship with God? You want Him in you? You want to be married? You want the new wine? You want the new life and the new spirit? He says, Enter. How do I enter? He said, By the blood. By faith in the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, not the old dead way of self efforts and trying and fasting and working and hoping, but the new way that is his flesh. His flesh is the veil. You enter in. You can't kiss your bride until you move the veil, right? Well, Jesus is so excited about kissing us that he ripped that veil in half. Like, come here. He's like, I want you. I love you. I'm bringing you to me. And no veil is going to stand in the way. The veil he tore in his flesh. That's how he brought us to him. That's how he embraces us. That's how we get new life. Are you in his arms in the fullness of joy? Or is your life a bummer? And church is just meh. Well, That's our sermon for today. I think we have time to uh, respond to the Lord. Uh, We got some songs? Good to go. Okay, come on up. What are we going to sing? Breathe? Breathe? Ooh, good. Maybe. Maybe another one. Go ahead and stand up with me, guys it's been an awesome day it's been a little long sorry about that Uh, but let's pray and we'll we'll, uh, allow God uh, to hold us and uh, his love to embrace us Father we come right into your presence I thank you that my sins have been nailed to the cross your crucifixion is how I got these robes of righteousness that I wear and there was so much more than that, Jesus. You rose again in victory and you were, you were raised up. You brought up, brought up into heaven seated at the right hand of God. And Peter tells us in Acts that that proves that the Holy Spirit has already been poured out on to me. And I thank you that you have chosen and graciously given me your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I want to walk newly in that Spirit. I want to I want to walk in your new wine every day. And I pray, God, that I would never go back to being an old wineskin, old ways, Lord God, the old covenant. Help me be free and help me to live in the newness of trusting completely in you and the work that you did on the cross. Lord, we turn our our lives over to you 100%. We surrender them to you because that's what the Holy Spirit is prompting us to do. Not because it's a rule and not because you demand it in that way, but because, God, you have created in us new hearts and you love the taste of the wine that you produce. God, we lift our hands to praise you because, God, you, you are so good. You are you're worthy to be praised. And our hearts are filled and overflowing and exploding with worship to our King and our Savior. We rejoice. We rejoice. We rejoice in you alone. Nothing else matters. Nothing else makes us happy besides you. Amen.